So I'd like to begin with a question. I'd like you to think about how would you answer the question, what is the enemy of the best? What is the enemy of the best? Now you might think that the enemy of the best would be the worst. But actually, I think that the enemy of the best is the good. And so I want us to hold on to this idea. I think it's going to be helpful for us as we are back in our study of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, you'll want to grab that because we are going to look at the passage here. And as we look at this passage today in Hebrews chapter 8, what I'd like you to hold on to is this idea, uh, this challenge for us that would remind us not to sacrifice the better for the good. Don't sacrifice the better for the good. I want you to hold on to that because I think it's going to help us as we look at this passage today. And I think that this this is an idea that we see throughout Hebrews. And I think that we'll see it very specifically today. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, um, go with me to Hebrews chapter 8, starting at verse 6. So Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. It says, But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So what we can see from this passage pretty quickly is that the writer is talking about covenants. He's talking about an old covenant and a new covenant. So we're going to spend a few minutes looking at these covenants, but before we do, I thought it would be helpful to just first answer the question, what is a covenant? It may not be common language. It might not be a word that we're very familiar with, but quite simply, a covenant is just a legal agreement. An easy way to think about it is two people coming together and saying, if you will, then I will. If you will, then I will. A a really good example that we would have would be a marriage contract. Because a marriage contract is actually really, really helpful because it is a legal agreement, but it's more than that, isn't it? The legal document that you sign is actually just affirmation of a relationship that already exists between two people. And so when people get married, they come to this, if you will, then I will. Do you take this man? Do you take this woman? Do you promise to love, honor, cherish, to be faithful? We make promises, and there's a legal agreement that we put in writing that says we, this is affirming the relationship and the promises that we've made to each other. 
And so this is a covenant. This is the idea when the writer of Hebrews is talking to us about covenants. He's saying, listen, God has made an agreement. He has made some promises and said, if you will, then I will. So this is, this is what this whole passage that we're going to look at today. We're looking at these ideas of covenants. Now we see in verse 6, just starting out, um, the writer of the Hebrews tells us first that there's an old covenant, but apparently there's something wrong with the old covenant. Because he says that God decided to, to make a new covenant with the people of Israel. And this new covenant is superior to the old one because... It's established on better promises. So what I'd like to do for the next few minutes is I want to look at two things. First, I want to look at what the old covenant is, because we can't know if the new one is better unless we know what the old one is. And then I want to look at what are the new promises? What are they and why are they better? Can we do that? Yeah? Okay. So first, the old covenant. The first question is, what is the old covenant? Well, if you look at verse 9... Uh, we, have a, we have a little bit of a clue here as to what the Old Covenant is that's being referred to. And you'll see this whole passage from about verse 8 to verse 12. It, it's actually inset. This is a quote from Jeremiah. Now, the writer of the Hebrews is taking a quote from Jeremiah 31 to help us to understand what is the Old Covenant and what are the new promises. So verse 9, it says, It will not be like the covenant I made with our ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they did not remain faithful to the covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. So the, the listeners, who would have been Jewish Christians, would have immediately recognized this reference to Egypt as the story from Exodus of the nation of Israel who were bound captive as slaves in Egypt. And God sent Moses, right? Familiar story. God sends Moses to lead them out of Egypt, and he leads them into the desert to Mount Sinai. And some of you may already know that at Mount Sinai, Moses went up to talk to God, and God gave the nation of Israel, and Moses specifically, he gave them the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on tablets of stone. So this is the old covenant that the writer here, and that God is referring to, the original covenant. And these Ten Commandments, this law of God, was very straightforward. The covenant was very straightforward. God said, if you will... Obey these laws and serve me and love me, then I will be your God. I will love you. I will protect you. I'll guide you into the promised land. This is the covenant. It's very so, and it's built around the law. Um, and then we see in verse 7 that the writer of the Hebrews says, even though this covenant was very straightforward and this is what it was, there was something wrong with it. It just wasn't working. You see, because this covenant built on the law had a very um, significant flaw, and that was that the law had the power to reveal sin, but it did not have the power to remove sin. The law had the power to reveal sin, but it did not have the power to remove sin. Now, I want to give you an example that may help you to understand what I mean by the law could reveal sin but not remove it. So I think this will help you. It's not a perfect example, but I think it'll help. Um, so imagine, if you will, a person who was trying to lose weight. I know no one in here would need to do something silly like that, but some person somewhere else. Imagine that they might be trying to lose weight. Well, we would know that the formula for losing weight is a very simple, straightforward, factual, mathematical formula. 
you burn more calories than you consume. If you can burn more calories than you consume, then eventually you will lose weight. And there's some simple uh, tried and true tested practices that you can put into place to make sure that you burn more calories than you consume. And that's very simple. Very simple. <laughs> eat healthy and you exercise. If you can eat healthy and you can exercise, then eventually, hopefully, you will burn more calories than you consume. And so if someone, not us, if someone were going to try to lose weight and they wanted to know if they were on track, they just step onto a scale. And they could look at the scale and then realize that they need to take their sweater and their watch and their hat and their shoes and their gloves and their socks and, and then step on the scale again. And then the number on the scale would be a straightforward factual information that would help them to discern, am I doing the right things or not? Am I succeeding at burning more calories than I'm consuming? So if I step on the scale, if I step on the scale and I get this number back, this number will tell me whether or not I've succeeded. But here's the problem with the scale. Well, there's many problems with the scale. But here's the problem that we're going to look at for the scale. When I step on the scale, if the number that comes back tells me that I'm not succeeding, it cannot help me to do better. The number can only tell me when I'm doing something wrong, or maybe doing something right. But if I'm doing something wrong, the number on the scale, the scale itself, cannot help me to eat healthier. The scale itself cannot help me to exercise. In fact, some would argue that if the scale gives us bad news, it's actually the opposite of motivation. It's like, oh, forget it, where's the Doritos? There's I don't know who would do that. No people would do that. Someone else. Right? This is the problem. So, so, and I realize this is a finite example, but in this example, the law is like the scale. So the law can help us to see when we've done something wrong. And the law is factual and good and just. It's true. This is what the law does. The problem is that the law cannot help us to do better. The law can't help us. So the law can reveal what we've done wrong, but the law can't actually enable us to do better. And so it was flawed because ultimately what God tells us and with the writer of the Hebrews and what God said to Jeremiah, that the problem was that he made this covenant and the law was good and the terms were fair and everything was straightforward. But the problem is that people are sinful. And while the law can help you to see if you were being sinful, it couldn't actually help you to not be sinful, and it couldn't take your sin away. And so God said that because people are sinful, they'll never be able to keep their promise, and so I can't keep my promise, and now the whole thing falls apart. And so God tells the, the nation of Israel in verse 8, when he's quoting uh, Jeremiah, verse 8, he says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. So God says, we've got to come up with another way. We need to have a new covenant. We need a new agreement. And we need to make new promises, but they're going to be better promises. We're going to do better than before. The old way was good. But it wasn't quite good enough. So we are going to make a new agreement together. We're going to make new promises to one another. And we're going to do better. So this is the old covenant. So the question then is, what are the new promises 
that God has made, not only to the Jewish people, but actually also to all of us. Because that's one of the amazing things about the new covenant, is the old covenant was actually just aimed at the nation of Israel. But the new covenant is already better, because not only did God make it with the nation of Israel, but he extended it to us. So the question is then, what are these promises that are so much better in the new covenant? Well, I think um, this passage here in Hebrews chapter 8 gives us three. So look at these three promises um, in the new covenant. So the first one is that if we decide to enter into this new covenant, this new agreement with God, then the first promise is we're given a new nature. Look at verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. So you remember the first covenant, where were the laws? They were external, weren't they? They were written on tablets of stone. So they were external. The law was an external law that was sat in judgment on people. But now, God says, under the new covenant, I'm actually going to write my law on your heart. It's going to be within you. And so no longer is the law an external law of judgment, but now it's an internal law of transformation. Because now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God enables us to do better. Now the law doesn't stand in judgment of where we can't measure up, but now the law, as we enter in, God promises and says, I'm going to give you a new nature. I'm going to put my laws inside of you and give you a desire to follow me. So this is the first promise. We're promised a new nature. The second promise, that's a better promise of the new covenant, is he promises us a new relationship. Look at verse 11. No longer will they teach their neighbors... Or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. So in weeks past, in talking about Hebrews, we've talked about the old system, right? The temple and the tabernacle. Alex talked a bit about that place and talked about the high priest. So under the old covenant, there was only one person in all of the nation of Israel who could come into the presence of God. And that was the high priest. And that high priest could only come into God's presence one time a year. And so under the new law, what God has said is because of Jesus, because Jesus is a better high priest, we have a better promise. So because Jesus is a better high priest, now not only one person can come into the presence of God, now everyone can come into the presence of God. You don't have to hope that someone goes through another person and hope that we can somehow from a distance get to know God. Now we can draw close. If you flip back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence because of this new relationship with God that we have in Jesus, we can approach God with confidence. Do you understand that under the old covenant, even though the high priest could enter into the presence of God, he entered in with fear and trembling. There were bells on the bottom of his robe so that they could hear when he was moving around, they could hear the tinkling. And he had a rope tied to his feet. And if at any point he did something wrong and he broke a law that God had set, then he could die for that right there in the presence of God. And they could not go in to get him out. 
because no one else was allowed close to God's presence. And so they would take that rope and they'd have to pull him out by his feet. If you walk in, I, I don't know about you, but if I walk into a place with a rope, like if, if I got called into Alex's office and they said, so Alex wants to have a meeting with you and Hannah stops me, wait, 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 Chrissy, let me attach the rope to your foot in case you get killed while you're in there. And I'll say, you're probably not feeling very confident. You're probably feeling like, don't say the wrong thing. Right? And yet the new covenant gives us better promises because now scripture tells us, Hebrews 4 tells us, we can enter into God's presence with confidence. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. Why? Because Jesus is a better high priest. So we have a new covenant, and we have better promises. The first promise is a new nature. The second promise is a new relationship. And the third promise is a new experience of grace. Uh, look at verse 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and will, will remember their sins no more. So under the old covenant, their sins were forgiven, but it was temporary. If they committed a sin, they had to go and they had to shed the blood of an animal. But it was a temporary uh, forgiveness of sin. And they would have to keep going back, sin after sin after sin, day after day after day, year after year after year. Because it was only a temporary forgiveness. And yet, what, what God tells us in the new covenant is because of Jesus. Because Jesus is a better sacrifice. He's the better high priest, but he's also, he's like both sides of the coin. Jesus is a better sacrifice. So while the animal sacrifice was good for that day, for that person, for that sin, Jesus died one time for all sins, for all people, everywhere. And that is enough to cover all sin. And so while the old covenant would cover sin, Jesus, who is the better sacrifice, and the new covenant, it removes sin. The old covenant covers sin, but we have to keep going back. The new covenant removes sin. It's only needed to be done one time, and now we're, we're, we're free of sin. Under the, the old covenant was like a band-aid. The new covenant is the cure. Do you see this? There's better promises in the new covenant. A new nature, new relationship, and a new experience of grace. And so we come back to where we started. The writer of Hebrews is urging those Jewish Christians, don't sacrifice the better for the good. Don't run back to the old practices. Don't run back to the law and the temple and the animal sacrifices and all the rules. And Don't run back. Those were good for a time, but Jesus is better. Don't sacrifice the better for the good. I think this is, is what the writer of Hebrews was saying to the uh, Jewish Christians who were hearing this, but I believe that also this is what God is saying to us today. Don't sacrifice the better for the good. What are the good things that we hold on to instead of holding on to Jesus? What are the good things that we run back to instead of clinging to Jesus and the better promises in him? You see, I don't actually think for many of us, I don't think that the thing that's most dangerous is that we're going to do some horrible, horrible crime that's, you know, murdering masses of people. That's not really the most dangerous thing for our faith. The most dangerous thing for many of us is that we cling to the good things instead of clinging to Jesus. 
right? The good things, like, do you know that the Jews weren't the only people who were tempted to go back to the law? There's plenty of people today who want to cling to religion and works and a list of things that I have to do and maybe I can be good enough. And yet Jesus says, don't sacrifice the better for the good. Doing good works and following Jesus and going to church and being a good person is good, but don't do it at the expense of your relationship with Jesus. Or perhaps the good thing that we hold on to is personal achievement or accomplishment or wealth or, or uh, career goals. Again, good things. No problem. God gives us good things. But don't cling to the good and let go of the better promises of Jesus. Or maybe the good thing is a relationship. Maybe it's a a child or a family member or a dating relationship, someone that we're we're clinging to, and it's it's a good thing. It's a good person, and it's a good relationship. But are you clinging to the relationship, and you're sacrificing the better promises of Jesus? So the reminder to us today is don't sacrifice the better for the good. I want to close uh, with a story. So I knew a guy uh, who had a couple of kids, and he uh, took his family and they were walking along the beach. And his, as they were walking along, his son would run up and down the beach and he was picking up shells, uh, not whole shells, but just little pieces of shells. And they were very beautiful. I mean, the, the shells were certainly pretty, but they're just fragments. They're just bits and pieces. And he's just running along, picking them up. And then all of a sudden, the little boy looks out into the ocean and he sees a huge starfish. And he turns around and he looks at his dad and his eyes are lighted up and his face just says, that starfish is mine. And so his dad says, go get it, buddy. Go get the starfish. And so the boy goes running out into the ocean and then he stops and he turns around and he comes back on the shore. And he looks at his dad and his dad says, what are you doing, buddy? Go out, go get it, go get the starfish. And so he turns around and he runs back further into the ocean and he stops again. And he turns around, and he goes back onto the shore, and he looks at his dad, and he's starting to look a little bit upset. And his dad says, what are you doing, buddy? That's your starfish. Go get it. And so he turns around a third time, and he runs even further into the ocean. And he stops again, and he comes back onto the shore, and he looks at his dad. And his dad says, buddy, what's wrong? Why don't you go get the starfish? And his son looks at him with tears in his eyes and says, because my hands are filled with shells. What are the shells that you might be holding on to that are preventing you from grabbing a hold of the better promises in Jesus? What are the good things that your hands are filled with that might be preventing you from grabbing a hold of the better promises in Jesus? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And as they, as they lead us in a song of worship, I want to invite you to take a few minutes And just pray, you and God. Talk about what are those good things. Name them. Take the power away from them by naming what is the good thing that might be preventing you from taking a hold of the better promises in Jesus. And then begin to surrender. Ask God to help you just to let him go so that your hands are free to to pursue Jesus at any cost. I'll just lead us in prayer and then we'll we'll worship. Heavenly Father, we just... Uh, We lift you up in this place. We thank you that you have given us Jesus, that you have given us a a new covenant, a better covenant with better promises. 
We thank you that in your graciousness, you have invited us into this relationship. And we thank you that you've given us good promises and a good opportunity for a life uh, to follow you fully. God, I ask that you would give us the, the courage to let go of the things that seem good in our lives so that we can take a hold of the better promises in you. God, help us to live with the freedom that our hands are wide open, that we wouldn't cling to anything for safety or security, but that we would just run towards you. Speak to us now through your Holy Spirit and help us to see those areas where we need to let some things go so that we can just uh, focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen.